Hey everybody, this is Ferg from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. When I'm not playing with my April Neo figures, I am listening to Turtle Flakes on the Retro Junkies Network. What? Don Turtle Flakes podcasters. Burn! Go, go, go! Get him! Go, 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 go! Cowabunga dudes and dudettes, and welcome to episode 9 of Turtle Flakes podcast. And guess what, Josh? What's that? <laughs> you already, sorry. sorry, I, I, I kind of I put you on the spot pretty quickly, didn't I? <laughs> uh, dude, guess what today is? Thursday? Dude, it's totally Thursday, and it's also May 1st. May 1st? Uh, what's May 1st, dude? I will tell you. Uh, about this time, about 30 years ago, there was a little comic book called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that was published by Mirage Studios, Kevin Eastman, and Peter Laird. Dude, that's today? That's today, man. Oh, dude, it's like the most epic day in comic book history. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, at first, you know, Josh and I, we, we uh, wanted to do an episode yesterday, and did that turn out so good? Uh, well, let's just say there were technical difficulties. I think Baxter Stockman was up to some of his wily, uh, you know, computer hacking things. Yeah, no kidding. I'll tell you. You know what? I bet you it was, it was Krang. He was getting revenge for us escaping Dimension X in the last episode with the two dudes. Yeah. Oh, yep. gosh. It was awful. Josh and I, we got about an hour and a half in. I mean, we had good content and everything. We talked about everything. Dude, uh, Rob Rob didn't say uh or um. He was totally perfect. I was for perfect. like the first time ever. Ever. You guys would not believe it. It was it was completely amazing. It was the one episode where I didn't say hoser. Yeah, yeah. And, and we didn't we didn't reference Terminator or Turtles three. It was amazing. It was the perfect episode. And then uh, all of a sudden, my computer freezes. Not only does that happen, it cuts off my Audacity track. I go to recover my Audacity track, and then there's an error there. The Skype recorder doesn't have, like, a backup if the power fails or something like that, or your computer cuts off. So and then this, this this chunky dude pops up and goes, uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word. <laughs> Jurassic Park reference. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, uh, today is the 30th birthday of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I just cannot believe that it's been around that long. And I read this yesterday. I'm going to go ahead and read it again today because I think this is a pretty cool little uh, nod. This is um, in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimate Collection Volume 1. It's on, uh, I think it's on page 46. I'm going to read what Kevin Eastman had to say about the very first issue because it's quite, it's quite interesting. And it's kind of, it's very humble if you think about it now, you know, what it is today and what they thought it was going to be back in 1984. So here it is. Here's what Kevin Eastman wrote about the very first issue that was published 30 years ago to this day. (laughs) I think it was late October, early November, when it happened officially. And I'll get back to that in a second. In September, I rented a room in a house in a beautiful Dover, New Hampshire, that Peter Laird and his future wife, Janine, were living in. And we formed Mirage Studios. It was a mirage because it wasn't a real studio. It was just a living room that we shared drawing space in and and called our studio. We decided to team up and see if we couldn't make a name for ourselves in comics. And who knows, maybe even get paid for it. Eastman and Laird, I wonder if that ever became a name. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) Have you guys heard of him? (laughs) (laughs) So, when Peter was watching his favorite TV show, it was my job to annoy him. And I did so that night by doodling a sketch of a turtle standing upright with a mask on and nunchucks strapped to his forearms. 
I Michelangelo, the first Ninja Turtle, dude. He was the first. Wow, how about that? That's pretty cool. You know, well, but then again, you know, that doesn't surprise me because Kevin Eastman, he was a party dude. Yeah, he definitely was a party dude. <laughs> I dubbed it a Ninja Turtle, and we had a good laugh. A few hours later, in typical night of studio nuttiness, we had finished a drawing with four martial arts characters in dramatic poses and a title Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Standing firmly on the shoulders of all the giants that came before us, Jack Kirby, as well as many of the contemporary innovators working around us, Frank Miller, and the groundbreaking self-publishers Dave Sim, we set out to make our own mark in a medium that we had both been inspired by our whole lives, comic books. We threw all of our favorite ideas into a blender, lined up a story that made sense, then, all things considered, spent the next few months drawing it. After spending all the money we had, plus $1,000 we borrowed from my Uncle Quentin, we printed 3,000 copies, pretty sure that we'd sell maybe one copy, and ended up selling them all in roughly 30 days. That was 1984, kids. It was our first self-published comic, and we sold out. Thank life you, Uncle Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and life couldn't get any better than that. You know, the funny thing to me about this is, I don't know when he wrote this. I don't know if this was, you know, him writing this this past year and, you know, looking back at his mindset back then. Or if he wrote this, you know, a couple years after the first issue. But what what blows my mind is they were so content that they sold those 3,000 issues, you know, of, of that, that first comic book. And that's something to be proud of. But did they have any idea that it was going to be a phenomenon that's still, you know, so strong today, if not stronger than it ever was? Right. I mean, it's an entire franchise now. And it all started with Eastman just trying to be funny and, and drawing what he thought was just a joke ended up being, you know, Michelangelo, the iconic, uh, you know, party dude and master of the whirling pizzas. <laughs> Thank you, like, Josh. <laughs> See, that's like, one great thing. That's one great thing. You know, Josh didn't say that in the last episode. So now we got it. We got it. We got it. We got it. We're good. <laughs> The entire franchise, I mean, thought anytime you think of pizza, you think of turtles, you know, video games, they're just, they're so huge. And just to think that it started in that little uh, apartment, you know, with two guys just messing around. And now it's 30 years of history and a franchise, tons of comic books, video games, movies, everything. It's just, it's completely amazing how humble he is. You know, he could have said like, oh yeah, we knew what we were doing. We knew it was going to be great, but he was just honest. And he was like, no, we were just messing around and it, and it turned into something great. That's pretty cool. And the Ninja Turtles are kind of special because there's a lot of cartoons and then there's a lot of things, so, say, from, you know, our childhoods in particular that, you know, they try to make a comeback and it just doesn't work. Well, the Turtles are kind of an exception to that rule. You know, you look at the Nickelodeon series now. You look at the video games. Heck, the 2014 movie's coming out in August. It's just as popular now, to me, in my opinion, than it was back in the late 80s, early 90s. And that's just a testament to the passion of the fans, to the quality of the comic books. And, you know, here we are, 30 years later, and we're celebrating the TMNT birthday, and it's just something so special. You know, Rob, there is somebody who can explain why it was so great. Gee, I wonder who that could be. Richard Rosenbaum. That's right. <laughs> he was kind enough to send us uh, advanced reading copies of his book. It's called uh, Raise Some Shell, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, he is a editor uh, of 
The Broken Pencil, which is Canada's magazine for underground arts and independent culture, which generally doesn't sound like something we would be into, but it's 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 looking at uh, pop culture classics uh, such as the Turtles and explaining why are they so significant, what is it about the Turtles that makes them come back again and again, an increase in popularity, uh, maybe even more so than they were originally. Great guy. Awesome book. It's available on Amazon in print and also on the Kindle. Yeah, yeah, we get to talk to the guy. And, you know, just to kind of put it into perspective, he not only talks about a lot of the references that you see, you know, that I would have never noticed if you hadn't pointed them out. He talks about a lot of references that Eastman and Laird made to other comic book writers and other comic books. He talks about all the different versions of the comics, you know, the Mirage series, the Image series, even the Adventure series, you know, things like that. He talks about the toys, he talks about, and this is all in the same book, he talks about the toys, he talks about the cartoons, you know, the 1987 cartoon, the 2003 cartoon, the uh, <coughs> Next Mutation <coughs> cartoon. <laughs> oh, jeez, I had some caught up in my throat. Oh, uh, And then he talks about the films. I mean, everything that you could possibly think of that's associated with the Turtles that he, he talks about in this book. And it's just so fascinating. I cannot wait for this interview. And by the way, this book is like under 10 bucks, and it's only 130 pages that he yeah. covers all this stuff. And it's really insightful ways of looking at things as to you know, how the turtles relate to popular culture, how they relate to teenagers, how you know, just the change of American culture as a whole, and uh, how, how and why the turtles were able to speak to certain groups of individuals just based on uh, the way that the story was structured, which is, you know, it sounds super in-depth and like it would be boring, but he's a Turtles fan himself. He keeps it really interesting and talks about things in ways that you wouldn't normally think of. So excellent book. Uh, check it out. Definitely, definitely. And speaking of shout-outs, uh, I guess we'll give a few more. First one, of course, is our main man, Jim Lawson, and he has a uh, Facebook page and a website called Jim Lawson Illustration, and basically on this website, he talks about some of his uh, current works. I know I'm reading um, the Dragonfly series that he's just started. It was just funded on Kickstarter, and man, what an interesting series that is. It has everything. It's got It's got dinosaurs. It's got talking dogs, it's got aliens, it's got vampires, and I have no idea where he's going with the series, but I love it. I'm hooked, and I cannot wait to read more issues. He just started it. I think his second compilation, he's put scans of it up on his Facebook page, so if you want to check that out, it's called Dragonfly. A fantastic book so far. I'm loving it. Our next one is Mark Pellegrini from TMNT Entity. It's uh, tmntentity.blogspot.com, an excellent website, uh, Great writing. Uh, he does some editorials, retrospectives, uh, some interviews. He's got everything on there, uh, Ninja Turtles related. Really excellent writer. Great website. It's a great resource if you're interested in the Turtles. Definitely something you have to check out. Great guy. Uh, next one is Two Dudes and a Ness. This was, uh, you know, in Episode 8, you know, we kind of got stuck in Dimension X. You know how it is, you know. So we met up with the Two Dudes, uh, and they cover pretty much game-by-game episodes of every Nintendo Entertainment System game there was ever made. Great show. It's on iTunes. I believe it's on Podomatic. And they're also part of the Retro Junkies Network, which is something that we're a part of. And speaking of networks, Josh, guess what? What's that? We are on another network now. Another one? Really? Yeah, yeah. People like us, man. Dude, have they listened to us? Well, probably not yet. I don't know. How much did you have to pay them to to put us on there? (laughs) Well, you know, a couple (laughs) of turtle cards and we were good. 
<laughs> All right, man. Well, I owe you one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Geekcast Radio Network, and that's I think it's geekcastradio.com. Uh, this is a podcast network. It's a network of retro articles and you know current articles dedicated to comic books, you know things in pop culture. Uh, awesome, awesome website. Uh, they have GI Joe stuff on there. They have He Man stuff on there. They have, of course, now we're the Ninja Turtle brand. We're on there. You know, yeah. You know, so if you have nothing else to listen to, you can listen to us hacks uh, try to talk about Ninja Turtles. Uh, and another podcast that's on there is a podcast I really want to give a shout out to. It's called Hunnic Outcast Podcast. They wrote us a, uh, I think it's Jeremy Fine or Fein, F E I N. How would you pronounce that, Josh? Uh, I guess Fine. I, I would say so too. I say that's a fine guess. But yeah, just uh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I would say that's it, but Jeremy, we appreciate the very nice review that you left for us on iTunes. I've listened to his show recently, and it's it's awesome. It's a, he basically he reviews comics. He reviews. Uh, I, I heard one episode on Family Guy. He reviews uh, the, the Godzilla trailer that just came out. Uh, I'm just I'm really liking his podcast. I've listened to about four or five episodes now. He's also part of the Geekcast Radio Network. He's on iTunes. It's called Hunnic. That's H-U-N-N-I-C. Outcast podcast. So check that out. Our next uh, one would be the Cowabunga Corner, which is www.cowabungacorner.com. Uh, Michelle Ivy uh, is uh, pretty much one of the biggest Turtles fans out there. Uh, she's a great gal. I met her at a uh, uh, Turtles Expo that was out a couple weeks ago. I was in line to get a signature for uh, from Kevin Eastman, and uh, I happened to meet her. She's really nice. She actually rented a booth at the expo. Uh, it was like a pretty sizable booth with tons of stuff on display. Not to sell it, but just to share with other Turtles fans the types of things that she's been able to collect. And just to give you an idea, she has uh, she has some of the animatronic heads from the Turtles movies themselves. Uh, she's got some of the original uh, comic book sketches. And she actually has, uh, I could not believe that she had this. And I knew exactly what it was when I saw it. Uh, she's got she's got this case set up, and there's like two sausage links connected. And they're sitting in there, and I was like, "Dude, come back, cold cuts!" <laughs> I was so excited. Your life was complete. It. it was. I actually saw the combat cold cuts, dude. I was. <laughs> it was awesome. She's just really nice. She uh, she's really open about how she collects things and why. And the coolest thing is that she puts it out there for other turtles fans like us to be able to see. You know, she feels a responsibility that if I have something turtle turtle related that's really cool, that you know it belongs to the fans. It's there for them to see. So definitely a great gal. Check out her website cowabungacorner.com. I'm hoping to have her on the site someday so she can tell us some of the uh, some of the stories about how she got some of the awesome stuff that she picked up. Yeah, we gotta have her on the show, man. Uh, but but speaking of the expo, so um, there was a Turtles expo. Uh, I'm I'm outside of Detroit, Michigan. I'm about 30 minutes outside, and uh, at Gibraltar Trader Trade Center, which is a uh, it's sort of a flea market, and they have a large area for expositions as well. They they were trying to break the record for most people dressed like a Ninja Turtle. Did they do it? Um, they didn't do it that night, but I think they retried, and I believe that they were successful. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I think they were. So Kevin Eastman himself was there and signing things, and he was there on Friday. He was signing things for free uh, just for the fans. It was pretty cool. So uh, I heard he was going to be signing stuff for free. I showed up. Uh, they told me it was going to be 25 instead of for free. I had taken half a day off of work. I was like, whatever. So I paid the 25 bucks. got in line, met some really cool people, including Michelle Ivey, passed out some turtle cards. I met a guy that uh, brought his daughter there. Uh, she was dressed up like a Ninja Turtle. It was so cool. <laughs> he had a, an animation saw from the 1987 series that he received after writing a fan letter to Fred Wilk, 
Treadwolf Films. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, wrote him a letter, said, my kid loves the show. Do you guys still have a lot of fans? They liked him. They sent him an animation saw. It was pretty cool. And uh, it was signed by some of the animators, and he, get, he got uh, Kevin Eastman to sign it. But um, So I got in line. Meet some met some cool people. Uh, Kevin was really nice. He was taking his time with everybody, letting him take pictures, and uh, it got to be my my turn to get up there and uh, got up. and I had my uh, TMNT uh, the works uh, collected works uh, volume one, so it's uh, like issues one through eight, color classics reprints. And he was like, "Oh man, these are really great. I, I love these." So I was like, "Wow, he actually likes this book. It's pretty cool." <laughs> so uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like I was like, "We're not worthy." <laughs> But, uh, so he signs my book and he does a sketch of one of the turtles in it. It was so cool. Uh, I I gave him uh, a pack of turtles cards. I was like, hey, we love your work. We really, you know, we really appreciate it. If you could ever find time to be on our show, it would be great. So I gave him uh, a pack of turtles cards and uh, his wife actually gave me his business card. So I'm planning in the future to try to reach out to them to see if we could be graced with his presence on our show. So fans, keep your fingers crossed. Maybe he'll be uh, kind enough to carve out some time for us. All right, now, uh, Josh, Josh, I, I got to tell you something. If we get him that? on the show, that's the holy grail of Ninja Turtle uh, interviews. Dude, totally. I, it really is. Yeah, and, yeah, and you know what, buddy? You know, my, my birthday's coming up, June 25th, you know, about uh, a little over a month away, you know. Uh... Dude, my birthday's June 20th. What? Yeah, June Are you serious? 20th. What Dude, year? 86. 86? No way. Dude, dude, I didn't know that. That's I'm the same way. Dude, that's crazy. Jeez, I, geez. So you're five year, you're five days older than me. Wow. Jeez, I, I better respect my elders. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. hey, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we, you know, we we need to get this guy up on the show before our birthdays, buddy. Let's see if we can do it. That'd be the ultimate birthday present. That would be. That absolutely <laughs> would be. But uh, again, guys, it was really cool. Honestly, Kevin Eastman is an awesome guy. Really nice. Took his time with the fans. He even let us take some pictures. Uh, I got a picture with him. Just really a great guy. And he was doing the signatures for free. And, uh, you know, some of us online had paid. They, they charged us when they shouldn't have. And he was like, you know what? You shouldn't have been charged. I was doing it for free today. And, uh, you know, he told us that we shouldn't have been charged. So we were able to get our money back. So he was doing it just for the fans for that day. It was really cool. It just he... You know, he appreciates the fan base. He takes his time with us. Uh, he's just really great guy. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he agreed to come on the show because uh, he was just really humble, really laid back. So man, it was pretty- that is so awesome, man. I am so jealous. He showed, he showed me a picture. You know, I, I, I see a picture, and it's, I think it's on our Facebook page, uh, Josh standing next to Kevin Eastman. I mean, Kevin Eastman. And I'm thinking, jeez, what a hoser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what, listeners. Josh and I are going to make every effort. You know, if, if he says yes to being on the show, we're going to make every effort to have him on uh, before June. Or, or at least, you know, early June. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be fantastic, man. And as a matter of fact, nothing set in stone yet, but since the new IDW 30th anniversary edition of the TMNT comics is out, uh, which is a collection of short stories, right, Josh? Yes, uh, if you go to IDW's site, uh, it explains a little bit about the book. But uh, I think it, they said it was like something like 48 pages, and it's a collection of different short stories by different uh, TMNT uh, names, I guess, different people that have been involved, including Eastman and Laird are working together on it for the first time in 20 years, as well as 
other uh, TMNT artists and writers, uh, and of course our main man Jim Lawson. Excellent segue. He has agreed to come on the show again. You know, awesome. we, we haven't sent out a date yet or anything like that, but one of these days he's going to be back on the show, and and we're gonna we were going to read the new um, Jim Lawson comic book, and it's been quite a few years because I think his last issue was I want to see one of the tales of the TMNT comics. It was one of the later ones. And that was in, I think, 2009, before everything was sold over to Nickelodeon, or IDW. So it's been quite some time since there was a Jim Lawson book, and we'll get to have him on the show after we read the stories. so that's pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Speaking of cool things, man, we're going to watch a cool cartoon today. Cowabunga! Cowabunga, dude! <laughs> we, today we are going to be watching, uh, this is our... Now, we apologize, listeners, uh, we were going to review the 2003 April O'Neil action figure. We were going to review a comic book from the fourth volume. We are still going to do that one day. But we were figuring, you know, there's no sense in us, you know, going and trying to recapture that magic that we had yesterday talking about these things. You know, and and we promise we'll cover them sometime soon. But uh, I think today we're just going to have a slice of pizza. We're going to watch a little bit of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hey, Raph, where are you going? Out to a movie. That okay with you? Yeah. Today we're going to be watching the Attack of the Mausers, and the the original air date for this episode was February twenty second, two thousand three. So this is from the two thousand three cartoon. It was written by Eric Luke, and it was directed by Chuck Patton. And it's been quite some time since we've seen this one, so uh, we're going to watch it again today. And so we are going to click uh, play in five, four. Three, two, one, and click. A very wise frog and Michelangelo's narrating. You think it was a karate frog creature? <laughs> I think so. So what do you think of the mousers with no red light? Uh, I like the red light better. I don't know. I, I just prefer the red light. I do. They're just not quite as menacing without it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, oh, did, did uh, we get to the point where uh, Splinters talked about the origin story yet and and everything, or is, is that in this episode? I can't remember. Um, I feel like he did it, I think, in the last episode, because I think they met April in the last episode, and I think he explains it there. Okay, I got you. Oh, here's the intro. That's actually uh, nice. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good song. Yeah, you know, um, uh, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's it's not bad. It's not. I love the electric electric guitars. Yeah. Hey, check this out. My wife just served me some pizza. Thanks, dear. Oh, dude, my wife ordered pizza. No way. Dude, yeah, I'm just I'm waiting for her to bring some to me too. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Oh, I think it's stuffed crust too. It's a DiGiorno's. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's not delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, man, Josh, this is the life. Man. We're watching Ninja Turtle cartoons, we're eating pizza. It's pretty we get awesome. To inter- yeah, I know. We get to interview Richard Rosenbaum here in a little while. It's pretty good for a Monday, man. Not bad for a Monday, I'll tell you. Man, I hope that pizza shows up. Uh, <laughs> you know, wise man says, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full never price. Never pay full price for late pizza. pizza. Yep, see? <laughs> All right. Oh gosh! You were asking me the other day what was what was the name of the big screen that Michelangelo called all those TVs? Yeah. Was it the oh Was it the monolith something? Yeah, a video monolith or something. Video monolith, something like that. Yeah. I can't. 
was the weirdest thing. I've so April ever wakes seen. up from her no notorious faint. <laughs> Mikey gets right in her face. <laughs> what wasn't that from the original film too, where he kind of gets in her face, like when she wakes up? I think so. Something like that. And she goes, "Why don't I ever dream of Harrison Ford?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, how was your um, May the 4th be with you? It was great. It was great. We didn't do a whole lot of Star Wars stuff. Um, I kind of didn't realize it for like the first half of the day. And then I think I saw your picture and I was like, <gasps> you know, when you were making the Han burgers? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> dude, you know how they're Han, you know how you know that they're Han burgers, right? How? They know wait, 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 that we love them. Wait, wait, can I guess? Can I guess? They they were cooked they were cooked in under twelve parsecs. <laughs> no no they're hamburgers because they know that you love them. <laughs> I love it. What? I'm talking to it. So what do you think of the new uh, April's getup? Uh, it's okay. It's I mean it's no yellow uh, raincoat or anything, but uh, I guess it works. It's. It's kind of athletic, so it makes you think that maybe she'll uh, eventually join in on the action. I guess she actually. Uh, she did in... Was it the last episode? Where was she fought a little bit? Yeah, didn't she use the fire extinguisher or something? I think so. I think so. And I know in the the Nickelodeon series, I think she fought in the second episode as well. Or, gosh, I don't remember. Now, they're all running together. Our listeners be able to tell us. Oh, oh, you know what? Speaking of listeners, um, I, I forgot to mention this in the last episode. As far as our listeners go... Josh and I, we're on Podomatic, and we have access to, uh, you know, the numbers and everything. So we know how many people are listening or at least downloading the show. But we don't really – we don't hardly ever, besides the reviews on iTunes and an occasional uh, – somebody will reach out to us on Facebook or send us an email. Um, if you have an interesting story or if you know you're a listener, long-time listener, and you're just now uh, wanting to write us in, that would be awesome. We'll give you a shout-out on the show. We'll send you some uh, turtle cards. Just send us a message. Just let us know you're listening. Tell us things you like about the show. Tell us things you don't like about the show. Just hopefully not too much of that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a shout-out on the next show. We'll send you some turtle cards uh, free of charge. talk about the episode huh i guess so <laughs> <laughs> oh there's one of those old school um ipods hey. oh nice check out his hey, headphones <laughs> they're not even earbuds no ah rafts to the, the 2003 raft voice probably the the shining turtle in the series absolutely i like michelangelo's voice very much leo hot. and donnie they're eh, okay hot tea <laughs> hot tea all right, uh, Josh. Thanks. Yep. Michelangelo's talking April right now. I want you to go ahead and do it. You know what I want. And master of the whirling pizzas. 
have something. You never let me down, buddy. Dude, I think it's better when I'm eating pizza. It helps. We have never revealed ourselves to the upper world. All right. So as far as the story is going right now, April's on the couch, huddled around the turtles, and Splinter. I think they're trying to find out where all the monsters went in the previous episode. They they destroyed the original turtle layer, and now they're they've set up this new layer, which is kind of like this subway part of. The underground. I, I don't really know particularly where it's supposed to be, and I don't know how they got all the electricity rigged into this sewer layer. But um, that, that's right. That's right. He can make anything work. But uh, yeah, now they're gonna try try to trace down the Mousers because Baxter is using them to kind of hold the city as ransom. Seriously, I promise. It follows the comics pretty well, actually. It really does. It really. This episode kind of follows the second issue, second or third issue of the original Mirage series, which is kind of nice. Is this another lesson, I, although, you know, the one thing I got to say about this particular episode is I kind of wish that they would have um, did a little bit more with Baxter. You know, it, it doesn't really explain why it is he wants to do this besides money. And I think Baxter could be a deeper character. Uh, he could be a more interesting character if he was doing more than just using the Mausers to make money, to hold these buildings as ransom for, you know, a lot of cash. Yeah. Of many oh, it looks like this may be the origin story here. Oh yeah, here it is. I witnessed an accident. I like the uh, kind of like the black and white kind of look to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're the infant turtles. Flying across. Oh, here you go. Here you go. When he was almost run down by a large truck. Hi, Josh. Where'd that come from? Well, I don't know. Should we should we save that for an interviewer? Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Yeah. Well, basically, we, we can say this. This scene where the canister about hits the boy in the eyes, that comes from something. Those poor turtles. Oh, no. All right, the TCRI can has smothered the turtles with its green, glowing, illuminous ooze. Gathering them up in a coffee can. Radical, radical, radical. <laughs> Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> Did you see that kind of smug look Splinter had there? That's hilarious. Spraying that ooze on me, what's wrong with you? Rats and turtles, you know. Yeah. Now, here's where I think uh, Splinter kind of looks more like a wolf. Oh, you're absolutely right. Look at that. Yeah, look at him. He looks like, you know what he looks like? He looks like the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. It's <laughs> <laughs> the eyebrows, the big bushy eyebrows. I think that's it. Except above ground. I like that he can kind of walk on his hind legs already. Would not understand. Yeah. We are so different. Gonna have another bite of pizza. I, was amazed mm. by their I don't think he really uh, talked much about his own I was not transformation. What happened one yeah. In the, movie, of... in the movie, he's like, he grew an intellect and everything. Right, right. And he mimicked his master's moves from his cage. <laughs> I'm sorry, if I saw a rat kind of mimicking my moves, I'd be like, whoa, there's something to this rat. Me too, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the turtles eating pizza for the first time. Intelligence followed soon after. Realizing that the world Intelligence followed soon after. So they were dumb at that point. Yeah, much, much, much <laughs> after for Michelangelo. <laughs> Still working on it. <laughs> of stealth and power and all that I knew of this world. From a battered book on Renaissance art that I fished out of the storm drain. Oh, so that's how I got his Renaissance art book. He fished that out of a storm drain. Who would throw it out? Oh, wait. I don't know. 
Raphael. <laughs> Hit himself with a nunchuck. Yeah, Michael, Michelangelo cracked himself in the head with a nunchuck. Ow! Ah, there it is! They say Turtles Forever, and that was the very last... Uh, that was the title of the very last uh, made-for-TV movie that the Fox for Kids series did, the 2003 series did. So. Uh, very... Um, our guest uh, author, who we're interviewing, also spoke about that in his book. Yes, yes. Without giving too many spoilers, let's just put it this way. Uh, he and uh, we are definitely on the same page, you know, with his opinion of that, that movie. I have not seen it yet. Oh, I Josh, actually, you've not seen it? I've not seen it, and I started reading the chapter on it, and he, he warns about spoilers. So I skipped the end of that chapter because I was afraid of spoiling it. So I oh it. my gosh, Josh! There's so much I want to say. Yeah. Let me just put it this way: you will not be disappointed. We may have to do a green screen on that one next. Oh yeah, we're gonna have to. I mean, it's it's. Oh gosh, I don't I don't want to say, but I will say this: it's one of my favorite cartoon versions of the turtles ever. Wow. I'm telling you, it did everything right in my opinion, except for one little, very very minor thing. What are we waiting for? I say we shut down All right, so they found the mousers. All right, so now they're going to go to the surface and try to track them down and shut down the main computer. Stocktronics? I thought it was yeah. Stocktronics. Stocktronics? I don't know how I feel about that. I like Stocktronics. Me too. Me too. Mm, pizza. So what kind of pizza are you eating? I'm eating a deep dish pepperoni. Oh, oh, deep dish. Oh, that sounds great. I'm just doing a DiGiorno's um, three-layer cheese. Nice. Or three, three cheese, I, I, I don't know. Does it have the stuffed crust? Oh, no! No, oh. <laughs> it just pooped out all the money. Yeah. Um, You know, I thought it was stuffed crust. Let me double check. Let me eat the, the other side. Oh, yeah, that's stuffed crust. Oh, that's good. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what? Dr. Stockman. Make it quick. I'm I just, very busy. I'm not crazy about Baxter Stockman's character that's portrayed here. Yeah, he kind of... <sighs> he's very one-dimensional in this episode. He just... He's just over the mouth. <laughs> like the meatloaf song? <laughs> I'm not going to finish that, though, because, you know... <laughs> but, uh... But, you know, this kind of makes it slightly more interesting because at least he's doing it for Oroku Saki for some reason, you know, getting these Mousers ready. I don't know if it's for the Foot Clan. I don't know if it's for the Purple Dragons because apparently they work for Oroku Saki as well. Really don't know what he's doing with the Mousers yet. Uh, maybe he's just using them to attack people. I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's hard to tell what his motivation is. Yeah, because obviously they didn't do that in the comics because, you know, we were to presume that uh, Shredder was dead after the first issue. So, so this is, I guess, you know what, this kind of granted my wish. This is kind of slightly uh, more interesting than just, you know, Baxter trying to make money. Man, I like the Stock Gen's guy's headsets. Yeah. So what do you think of um, April's hair? It's very, very red in this show. It really is. I kind of like it. I kind of dig it. And the green eyes? Yeah, I think it works. You know, it, they kind of had to make her... You've got to have one thing that stands out about April to make yeah. her different than everybody else. So instead of the raincoat, they did the hair, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, does she have red hair or was it Auburn in the, the original cartoon? 
I feel like it was Auburn, but I'm I'm not sure actually. Yeah, yeah, it was nowhere near like the red that she has here. No, it's like I don't know, it's like fuchsia fire. I don't know. Yeah, you know, you know what she kind of reminds me of. Speaking of Disney uh, movies, she reminds me of the Little Mermaid. Oh, Ariel, yeah, yeah, hey, Ariel, that's Ariel. Dude, I think you're right. Yeah, except she's really good with computers. <laughs> and her dad's not King Triton. Yeah. Well, she still <laughs> likes the thingamabobs, though. This is that's true. Just, just electronic thingamabobs instead of eating utensils. Uh, guys, <laughs> my turtle senses. She just doesn't have a pet crab. <laughs> Sebastian. I can't believe I remember that. I haven't watched that in 20 years. I actually just watched it for the first time in a while. Probably really? Like a month or two ago, yeah. I never really watched it much what as a kid, but uh, you? for some reason, Stacy and I picked it up uh, I on DVD and watched it. It was actually pretty good. Yeah, it's you know those original Nickelodeon cartoons aren't bad. Or uh, not, not sorry, not Nickelodeon, uh, Disney cartoons. Be careful, man, we're gonna get sued. Oh uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, so now Baxter Stockman's found the turtles. Uh, they they've kind of gotten into the main uh, computer room to shut down the mother computer. And now there's these cool-looking lasers Baxter's controlling to try to stop the, the turtles. And it kind of reminds me of the second episode of the original cartoon. You know, where they're fighting all... I think it was the Enter the Shredder episode. Oh, yeah, where they're, they're fighting the Technodrome for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Now, what do you think of this battle riff compared to the original battle riff? Um, this one doesn't get me as pumped up. Yeah, it's kind of forgettable. Yeah, it's it's not iconic like the, uh, the original one is. Yeah, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if it's just because the original one did the same one over and over again is why we remember it. Uh, or if this, you know, it was just that much better than this. But either way, I, I like, you think of the battle riff, I think of the... Alright, so Leo just busted through the balcony and got to Stockman. And April just showed up behind him in the elevator. April? You're alive. But she's April, missing half her shirt. She's missing half her shirt, though. Yeah, no kidding. Maybe the lasers cut it off. Maybe, who knows? Yeah. Too late. I recall the Mouser Horde from their latest mission. They'll be here any second. They'll tear you to pieces. He's smiling like a really, really happy smile. They'll tear you to pieces. You're doomed. Listen. Oh, here they come. A whole swarm of Mausers ready to surround the turtles. That's okay. They have yellow lights. That means uh, caution, not red for death. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> slow down, you know, just take it easy. The system isn't responding. I love how Baxter's just kind of like chilling in the background while they're like hacking his system. He's like, I think I'm going to leave now. You should Deuces. never have me. He's getting away. Let him go. We got bigger problems. Look like smaller, smaller problems. problems. <laughs> Dude. Okay. Look at there. Actually, you know, they look like little Snoopies. They do! <laughs> Where's the Woodstock? And you know the yellow lights? Like Woodstock. Dude, the little bird. Spot on. <laughs> this is just like the end of the uh, the second uh, original comic, though. It is. They're Girls surrounded. Die with yeah, yeah, they're surrounded. They're about to give up. It looks like there's no hope. Yep. <laughs> Taps it with the mouse or the katana. Good job, April. I've never seen anything like that. So she shut down all the mouses right before they were about to attack. April's quite the hacker. She is. Uh oh. Now the the yellow lights have turned red. The 
I could stop them was by initiating an overload sequence. In other words, let's get out of here! So now they've, they've been programmed for overload, so they might all blow up. Here we go, cinematic explosion, here we go. Wait for it. Oh no, I'm gonna miss those little guys. Oh! <laughs> They're dead. They're not gonna be an episode. It's a really fiery explosion. I know! Jeez, what were they, made of gas? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I've got them. I've got Imagine taking your mouse to a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> what would you fill it up with, like, an eighth of a gallon? <laughs> Takes premium, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trouble, Dr. High-performance oh, machines. Trouble? No, no. Dude, his arms are, like, as big as Baxter's waist. I know! I like the uh, now is that a tattoo on the side of his head or or it's like his jaw or is that a scratch mark? Mm. All I see is a tattoo on his arms. I didn't see one on his face. He's got a sweet yellow mullet though. <laughs> Mississippi mud flap. <laughs> so they're back at the turtle lair. April's drinking her hot tea with Splinter. I wonder if we'll celebrate with pizza. I think I think April's trying to figure out what she's going to do next because she just lost her job. You guys, yeah, destroying the laboratory. You know, I don't think it's going to go over well on a resume. Now what is that? Is that crumpets? You got to know what cricket is to know what a crumpet is. <laughs> cricket. Oh, here's a Rokusaki. Hun and Baxter, and you know, now Baxter's trying to back out of, you know, his mistakes and shortcomings. Love that claw he's got. That's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of, it's cool seeing it without all the other armor. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting symbol of his head, too. Because it's not like a foot for the foot clan. Or is it? I don't know. It looks like a duckbill. Or something. I don't yeah. know. We have the image you requested, Master. Got the splinter cell dude over here. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, this is where it gets interesting. What is that? A vacuum? Oh, never mind. Sorry, it's a mouser head with a projector screen. Uh-oh. That's awesome. It's like Star Wars. Dude. You know, Star 2 projecting that uh <laughs> Uh-oh. So now he knows that these turtles exist. So perhaps some foreshadowing for what's going to happen in the next episode or the episode after that. Oh, I want to say that the next episode, the 2003 one, episode four, features Casey Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, can't wait for that. Cool. So what do you think about this episode, man? Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I liked uh, how it, it mirrored the second issue, the uh, original comic, pretty well. Yeah, um, I didn't like the one dimensionality. Uh, yeah, go Un for it. Unidimensionality. Of <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making stuff up now. Of uh, backstory, like we had said. I mean, I guess it showed a little bit more about why I was doing it, but I don't know. I just feel like he could be more of a, more of an epic, uh, maniacal genius, you know, with more motivation rather than just destruction or money. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like the in the 2013 series. He's really uh, particular about people knowing his name and who he is, like about being famous. Mm -hmm. So not so much in this one, though. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. He's kind of um, almost goofy, you know, and I guess the comic book, he was the same way. Um, 
it, it was slightly better that you know he was actually working for Rokusaki. You know, even though it's, he's already kind of established himself as almost like a comedic figure compared to Rokusaki because he's scared to death of him. You know, and Hun's like picking him up by one arm. So you already <laughs> kind of you can't really take Baxter that seriously because of that. But that also might be a good thing. You know, may, who knows? Maybe on, later on in the series, Oroku punishes him the same way he did with the original Baxter from the cartoon, and he turns into the fly. But I, I want to say that didn't happen in this series, but I could be wrong. I, you know, I've not watched all the episodes. But yeah, yeah, overall, it's a decent episode. So is there like a shining moment uh, that stands out to you? I did really like when Leonardo tapped the, uh, the Mausers on the head with his katana. I don't know why. Right. I just thought it was hilarious. It was, just, it was a good mix of um, action and seriousness and then comedy. Just how they, they just throw stuff in there that actually makes you laugh. I, I really like that. I just like the uh, dramatic explosion at the end. That was cool. There was a lot of flames there. That was pretty sweet. There was. I mean, usually you see like a big explosion and like smoke and everything, and then it just kind of like disappears and fades away, but it was like a lasting effect. And considering, you know, there was only like 12 Mausers there, I mean, geez, would they have, they each have like self-destruct things that... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, those 12 mouses, they apparently blew up the whole place. Yeah, decent episode. Not bad. Not bad. I'd probably give it around a 7 out of 10. I'd have to agree. That, sound, that sounds spot on. Right, sounds pizza-rific, huh? It does. All right. Well, I guess that's it for our green screen. Stay tuned for the next episode as we cover episode either 3 or 4 of the Nickelodeon TV series. I think it's episode 4. So stay tuned for that. Okay, Trolls fans, we have a special treat for you today. Uh, we have a fellow author, editor, and fellow Turtles fan, Richard Rosenbaum, joining us today. Hey. How you doing, Richard? Good. How are you guys? Just so pumped to have you, man. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. So, you know, before we um, talk about, you know, your whole writing experience and everything with uh, uh, Raise Some Show, which we are so pumped to talk about, you know, what really kind of got you into the Turtles in the first place? Oh, well, uh when I was a kid, I think it was in art class, and uh, I tell this story in the book, I just saw somebody had uh, one of the toys, and for some reason, that action figure really spoke to me. And I was like, hey, what's, what's that about? And the kid was like, uh, it's Ninja Turtles. So I said, when is it on? Because obviously, <laughs> it's a TV show, because everything is a TV show. Right. <laughs> and... Um, after that, I started watching it, and just it hooked me right away. Then when I uh, came down with Chicken Pox, uh, I asked my mom to get me a Ninja Turtles comic, and she brought me one home, and I just read it so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it kind of uh, just spiraled out from there into absolutely everything else. Yeah, you know, that, that's funny that uh, you said in your book, it was, uh, was it the Archie issue 13? Yep, that's the one. That's funny that you mentioned that because I can relate to that. My first introduction to the comics was the Archie series, and it was mm -hmm. right after the first film. And I know that Jim Lawson did like the first couple of issues and like yep. film adaptations. Yep. And yeah, that's what kind of got me started in the comic books. I, I actually didn't know there was a dark side to the comic books until uh, many years later. And boy, what a difference! Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, was the same, it was the same with me. I discovered the original comics uh, a couple of years later, but then, of course, that became the definitive version for me, even though right. it wasn't my original uh, introduction. Absolutely. Same, same for me as well. I didn't find out about the, uh, the comics until afterwards, so uh, just really cool how the, uh, the cartoon kind of brought everybody in, and uh, well, as you talk 
about in your book, uh, you know, there's always different versions of the Turtles and iterations. So for our fans, uh, not only is Richard a, uh, a true Turtles fan, uh, he also has written a really, really interesting book called Raise Some Shell. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, uh, Richard, why don't you uh, tell our fans a little bit about what your book is about and um, maybe a little bit about um, some of the other uh, activities you do in the writing world, uh, so to speak. I know you're a fiction editor at Broken Pencil. Yeah, I'm fiction editor for Broken Pencil magazine, which is a magazine about uh, indie culture and alternative art scene and stuff like that. And we also publish fiction, uh, which is... A lot of stuff that I think nobody else would publish, so that's pretty fun. And uh, I write for Overthinking It, um, this website that uh, subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. (laughs) And uh, they're a great site. And actually, I originally wrote an article for them about Ninja Turtles before I was a regular writer for them and just a fan, and I pitched them this idea about how... uh, Ninja Turtles was a, a metaphor for um, sort of race and the immigrant experience in America. And I wrote this article for them, and it was a lot of fun. And then later on, ECW Press put out uh, a call for pitches for a new series called Pop Classics that they were going to do, which would take individual cultural artifacts or, you know, anything, a TV show or a video game or whatever, just something that's had cultural impact and to give it a kind of serious treatment and argue why it's important to the culture, what it represents, and and so on. So I immediately pitched Ninja Turtles because it was the book I was born to write. (laughs) And they liked the idea. We went back and forth with some uh, suggestions, some refinements, and uh, they ended up asking me to write the book. It was a lot of fun, and, and people seemed to like it. So that's really, that's pretty cool. I'm happy about that. And could you kind of like give a, just a general premise of what the book's about? Um, it's about the, the history of, of the Ninja Turtles franchise, but most, mostly about uh, why it's been so important to the culture, why it hits people so hard, why so many people are so into it, and why it's persisted for so long. In adaptation after adaptation, it seems to always be popular and always hit people in a, in a special way uh, and create a lot of devotion in its fans. I just try to look at some of why the characters and why the stories are so important to so many people for so long. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, when, I, uh, when I first saw the book, I was uh, really intrigued to find out you know, what types of things would, would, could you possibly talk about. I mean, it's Ninja Turtles and, and taking such a, a deep dive, so to speak, as to why people care about them why they've been around for 30 years. Uh, I was really curious as to what you were going to come up with. And uh, I was actually shocked at uh, just how many different angles you could look at, how people relate to the turtles and, and the situations that are brought up in the, in the comics and the movies and the, and the, and the books. And uh, honestly, I was shocked, impressed, and really entertained. Uh, Thanks. It was really, really cool. Um, I, I, was, I love the footnotes. The footnotes <laughs> totally <laughs> made it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and, and you sold us over right away. I mean, when you said you were a Donatello fan, uh, we yep. were like, this guy's good. He's legit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not cool, going to quit. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I, I, I immediately trust you guys, too. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Nice. So, uh, you know, just, you know, speaking of Donatello, why are you a Donatello guy? Uh, I think Donatello is the most versatile of the Turtles. He's not usually out front, right? But He's, he is always the one who comes up with the plan that foils the 
you know, very scientific, technological problems that the villains come at them with. That's a good um, point. Yeah, he's, he's the most introspective, but at the same time, he can kick butt when he wants to. Yeah, the video games, he's unstoppable. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Got the longest reach. And yeah, I, I yeah. was really... Uh... I was impressed at uh, how you described some of the, the stuff in the video games. It was pretty cool that, you know, you looked at all aspects, including the games. Yeah, well, I think the video games are a big part of it, too. Uh, especially, like, the arcade game, the original arcade game, and then Turtles in Time, which were ridiculously popular. Like, they were the most popular arcade games at the time. Not uh, only because they were Ninja Turtles games, but because they were great games. Um, well, uh, I've got a couple here, but the, the first one I wanted to ask was, uh, have you ever spoken to Kevin Eastman or Peter Laird? Yes. Uh, if you have, you know, what was, I guess, your, your biggest burning question? Uh, and if you haven't, what question, uh, what are maybe one or two of the, uh, one of the two first questions that you would ask them if you had the opportunity to? Uh, I have spoken to them. Um, I met them both at uh, conventions. This is long, long ago. This is way before uh, the book. Um, but I met Peter Laird at a convention a few years ago. He just drew me some some stuff. I didn't really ask a lot of questions. I think I was kind of starstruck. <laughs> Can understand. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Peter Laird and I both hold Donatello as our favorite. So oh, I didn't know that about Laird, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Donatello is Peter Laird basically, and Raphael is Kevin Eastman. <laughs> wow, I thought yeah. Michelangelo would have been an Eastman guy. No, it's mostly it's mostly Raphael, and that's that's their kind of working relationship too, right? Like they bring such polar opposite things to the to the to the table, but it's not a rivalry. Uh, like Leonardo and Raphael kind of have a rivalry, whereas mm -hmm. Raphael and Donatello kind of complement each other in a weird way. You don't usually see them coming into conflict, and even though Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird had some you know issues that that ended that led to them sort of breaking up and not working together for a long time, it wasn't a blow-up fight, you know? Like, they were never on bad terms with each other. It's not like when, you know, a band breaks up or whatever, and, they, and then they, you know, talking trash about each other. You know, they were too different. Um, but it's the same thing that that's why they worked so well together. I'm totally getting off the topic of your question, but... <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's good. It's, it's good. Yeah, I mean, I met, I met them both in, at separate at separate conventions, years apart. They were just both super nice. You could tell that they were really, they were really appreciative of the fandom, you know? I just had a short conversation with, with Peter Laird. I don't even remember what about, but he was, he was really nice. Actually, he didn't have any paper left. He was drawing sketches, but he didn't have any paper left, and he drew me a picture of Donatello on the, uh, the backboard of the pad that he was using, <laughs> which is pretty cool. That's kind of That's a awesome. one-of-a-kind thing. And, uh, and then a couple of years later, I met Kevin Eastman, also at a convention. He drew me a sketch, too, also of Donatello, because that's who I asked for. <laughs> and I just said, you know, thanks for doing all this. You know, thanks for coming to this convention, but thanks for helping to create the Turtles. It's, it's enhanced my life so much, and I've got so much entertainment out of it, and whatever. And he was so friendly and gracious, and he was just like, well, you know, thank you, because without you guys, without, without the fans, we wouldn't be anything. Yeah, we created it, but that's all we did. Like, you guys did all the rest. And it was so... Because I didn't know what to expect, right? When you, meet, when you meet your heroes, sometimes they say you should never meet your heroes. Good point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but, but I, was, I, I couldn't have been more happy with, uh, with the way that they, that they turned out to be. They're actually, like, genuinely super nice guys. 
because your, your biggest fear is, you know, that, you know, you've idolized this person, you've been a big yeah. fan of this person's life, and then you finally go to meet them, and they're kind of jerks. <laughs> right, right. You hear, you hear stories like that a lot. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but I was, I'm happy to report that, that Ethan and Laird are, are, are super cool, super nice people. <laughs> Definitely true, yeah. Uh, Josh was telling me um, uh, that uh, he got to see Kevin Eastman, and he said the same exact thing. So that's just a big testament to the franchise, and kind of... Uh, up until the Nickelodeon days uh, that we're in now, you know, that, that's kind of a cool thing about the entire franchise. It was just two guys who made this up. It, I don't know. That's just a special thing that you don't see very often. It was a very long time before before it kind of got corporatized. Even though oh, it, was, yeah. it was making a lot of money for a long time, it still belonged to these guys. Right. They were at the head of it. You know, I, I wanted to talk about one thing I thought was really interesting. And Josh and I, we learned a lot on this. Uh, it's in the first chapter of your book. Uh, you talk about the TMNT being pastiche. Am I saying that right? Yep. All right, I got it right. <laughs> yeah, we, it's we, rare. Not only will you entertain this book, uh, be entertained with this book, you will expand your vocabulary as Rob and I have. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. You were uh, explaining what that is, kind of when an author takes um, the ideas or the concepts of a variety of works and, and kind of uses them to make something new. Do you think this is the main reason or one of the main reasons why the original Mirage TMNT comic was such a huge success in the 80s? Uh, yeah, I think that is for sure part of it. Um, they, were, they, they took a lot of the stuff, uh, a lot of the ideas, a lot of the themes and the tropes of the stuff that they loved, the, <laughs> the comics that Eastman and Laird themselves loved and that were super popular at the time mostly like Daredevil and uh, Ronin, also by Frank Miller, both of those, the Daredevil uh, by Frank Miller, Ronin, also by Frank Miller, um, Cerebus the Aardvark, Dave Sims' groundbreaking indie comic, mm-hmm. and, uh, and there, there was X-Men and all that Jack Kirby stuff at Marvel, and all of the most popular stuff that they loved just as much as anyone, as any of the other fans, but they also saw the the ridiculous side of it and uh they took all that stuff that they genuinely loved and it wasn't it wasn't quite a parody but they they put it into a context that kind of highlighted how weird that stuff that everyone in comics was taking as perfectly normal right (laughs) that really put that on at the forefront like right at the top of uh of the book so teenage mutants like the x-men were all over comics at the time. Ninjas, in like Frank Miller was writing about in Daredevil and in Ronin, and uh, turtles, like animals, anthropomorphic animals, like <laughs> was happening in, uh, in Cerebus, the Aardvark, and a lot of in, in other uh, indie books that were getting a lot of popularity. And they just mixed it all together and created something completely new out of all of this stuff. And it did get super popular, not because they were copying what came before but because they really loved this stuff and they had really important to them things to say in the book about what was going on in comics about what was happening why they loved what was happening but also what was kind of weird or didn't make a lot of sense about it as great as it was so they were never making fun of it but they were very aware of how silly it was. Yeah, so I was I was really blown away when you had pointed out the similarities between Daredevil and uh, Ninja Turtles. I just mm-hmm. didn't know about it. So actually, I went out and I bought a Marvel Masterworks Daredevil book that has the first issue. Oh, great! Yeah, I looked side by side and I was like, 
it is the exact same events. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, if you go frame by frame, you've got an old guy crossing the street with a cane. Both of them, you've got the the car coming, and it, I just thought, wow, you know, this guy really did his homework, and he really loves the turtles. If if he knew this kind of uh, background information, you know, and that you paid that much attention to detail, and uh, just like you said, it's cool because it's like they're not copying off of Daredevil mm-hmm. because you know there's not really a reason to copy it, but. You know the fact that it's it's sort of the same event and paying homage to it. Yeah, exactly. Really cool. You know, they wanted they wanted everybody else to be in on the joke too. They right. wanted they wanted people to know that these guys are Daredevil fans. You know that, that that their inspiration comes from from all of these places. They weren't trying to hide it. They weren't saying like, oh, we're coming up with some completely new thing. But actually, they were just ripping off something else. They were paying homage to the books that they loved, and right. they wanted everybody to know that that's what they were doing. Yeah, it seems like a nice nod to to a lot of the uh, famous comic books at the time. And also, for me, just knowing this for the first time, it, to me, that just gives all the more credibility to the, the comic book franchise because, you know, yeah. they did do their homework, and they did know and respect other comic book writers and artists. And yeah, I just absolutely. think that's that, that's a huge testament to... Ninja Turtles, uh, that just kind of makes me even more of a fan. Yeah, they were really serious about it. Like, they, they, they come to their creativity very honestly. They weren't trying to cash in on current trends. They were genuinely caught up in what was going on, and it overtook them, and it, it overflowed and made them want to create something new. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And talk about, uh, when you're talking about cashing in on trends, um, and this is kind of skipping around, but when you, you started talking about, you know, the dark days of the Turtles, uh, mm, yeah. that, in that chapter where you talk about how they were just taking what was popular at the time, like uh, you were talking about Power Rangers, yep. and just applying the Turtles, just copying, pasting it right on whatever's popular at the time, right. and trying to cash in on what's popular instead of, you know, telling stories about the Turtles themselves and why they're great. And I just thought that was a really uh, a really great observation, you know. You Thanks. don't really you don't really think of those types of things. And I mean, maybe it was really obvious to other people uh, at the time or whatever, but it wasn't to me. I just thought it was really neat. And then you really see that happening a lot, and that's a, a, the reason why a lot of cartoons and franchises fail because they do those types of things. Yeah, with the Power Rangers thing. Aside from the fact that it was just terrible, they were tr- <laughs> they were trying to tell. Power Rangers stories with the Ninja Turtles, right? And it just doesn't work. It wasn't, it wasn't legitimate. I think that the people in charge of that, it was a, it was a corporate decision, right? It was a, it was a yeah. money decision rather than a creative decision. And you can't really plan, some, plan um, something successful. You know, you have to create something that you believe in, right? And I think that was probably my fav- one of my favorite footnotes out of the entire book uh, when you were talking about the uh, the Power Rangers and you were saying, well, the Power Rangers were popular at the time and nobody knew why. And your little <laughs> comment on that, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, the footnote, something about uh, the forces of dark energy uh, was the reason why they were popular. <laughs> yeah, something like I, I can't I can't understand it. I didn't understand it then, and I still don't understand it. I'll, I'll tell you what, when I was watching it then, uh, I, even as a kid, I was like, this is so cheesy. And then when I watched, I, I totally missed out on the next mutation. I didn't watch that until I was an adult. Oh, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> they were only around for like one season, but uh, yep. gosh, I watched it. It's on Netflix. For those of you who want to brave. Yeah, <laughs> don't watch it. Why I never it said it was on Netflix? On Netflix. They actually put yeah. it on there? Wow. 
Well, uh, uh, yeah, that's on Netflix, but the original series isn't. But um, speaking of that kind of the Dark Ages time of the, uh, the TMNT, kind of in the late 90s, yep. do you think that was the same case you know, of kind of cashing in um, a little bit with the Image series, the comic series? Because you mentioned that in um, your book a little bit about yeah. how you know, disservices to the TMNT franchise when Image took over. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that was as much about cashing in. I think that the creators on that really thought that they were doing something cool, but it was just the wrong way to do it. They were they made it an image book instead of a turtles book, right? Right. And they put it into the image universe and they were and they used image tropes and image style storytelling and With muscles everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> muscles everywhere and very little depth. It was the kind of really dumb storytelling that was popular in comics at the time, like the middle of the 90s when um, the bubble was kind of bursting. It was, again, a problem of trying to cram the turtles into a box that they that they don't naturally fit into. And I don't think that, in that case, I don't think it was about money. Um, right. I just think that these these guys didn't really get how to do turtle stories, and they were trying to tell their stories using the turtles it didn't work your book really mentions how you know they used shock factor just for the sake of using shock factor instead of yeah you know really kind of distinguishing what the point of doing these things you know whether it's disfiguring the turtles right or, or anything like that and it's just you know it just didn't seem to work and it's kind of funny because the image series i remember i was looking at one cover I don't remember which issue it was, but I do know it was the Image series, mm-hmm. and they were actually making fun of the next mutation on the cover. It said there will, there's no girl version of the turtles on in this issue. <laughs> so I was like, wow, they're making fun of them, but yeah. they're not even that great. <laughs> well, right, they were doing a lot of that. They were like, like, no pizzas here. They'll never eat pizza. <laughs> Like, yeah, all right, you're kind of missing the point, though. Yeah, it's like they were trying to prove that they were uh, for adults or something by the shock factor. And, like, um, one of the things that you had mentioned was um, with the shock factor, I think it's the very first issue. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a birthday party, and and then they kick down the door, and Donatello gets shot. And it's like, I I don't know, it was just very different than... It was roughly out, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it was just kind of like... Shock oh, factor, yeah. like you said, and it. Yep. And another thing that you had mentioned specifically, uh, which which lets me know you're totally legit, <laughs> is when you were talking about some of the artwork being disorienting. Yeah. And I, we we actually, I think in our review, we actually had mentioned that it was like I can't tell what is going on in this frame. Exactly. Yeah. I, I felt that's exactly the way the way that I felt back then. I was like, I was really nervous about what image was going to do, and really, it's not even. It was weird, too, because Image was known at the time for focusing on art over stories, and right. yet the art was really incomprehensible. Yeah, I couldn't tell between a bicep and a gun. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really strange. You know, kind of going back uh, to you know, the, the brighter times, I should say, of the early 90s, well, actually, you know, kind of getting into the Dark Ages, you know, in Chapter 2, you did a great job of comparing and contrasting you know, the origin story of the characters from the dark, more adult-oriented Mirage comics to the, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kid-friendly Fred Wolf cartoon. By the end, you know, I'd say from 94, 95, when the original cartoon was kind of winding down, mm-hmm. you, you were talking about how, you know, fans were kind of, you know, kind of getting 
I don't know if tired's the word, but the, I'm not sure what happened there, but it just seemed like fans wanted something different. You know, yeah. is, there, is there anything, in your opinion, that the original cartoon could have done to prolong the series? Well, I mean, they did retool the series in the last couple of seasons. Right, with Drag and... Dra- yeah, you know, exactly. The Red Skies. <laughs> the Red Skies, for some reason. And that stuff wasn't bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it was probably just... It was just its time. It was... It went. It ran for ten seasons, which is really uh, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, it was the longest running uh, American cartoon ever. Simpsons hadn't got to ten years yet by that point. And and this is the time where like kids' cartoons will run like one or two seasons. They were not long running, mm-hmm. and Ninja Turtles hung around for ten years. But I think the kids who were originally watching it had kind of outgrown the level that it was at. Uh, right. That it was that it was really aimed for, and. They wanted to make it more serious and less silly, and they did that to some degree. They changed the animation a little bit. Um, they changed the focus away from Shredder and Krang, and they brought in new new enemies and new allies. And there was some good stuff in there. They were trying things. They were experimenting. I really did like the art style, but what did you think of the yeah. um, the second intro song? You know, toward the end. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, they just they just made it a little. Uh, a little more downbeat, right? Like a, a <laughs> more, a little more threatening. Right, right. <laughs> Except for that high pitched guy, Turtle Power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, uh, it's but... kind of funny. Uh, we were talking about how it had been on for ten years. Uh, I was thinking about this. You know, if you tried to explain the turtles, uh, let's say an episode, the episode uh, with Baxter Stockman. Mm-hmm. If you were trying to explain to somebody uh, what the cartoon was about, and you say it's these mutant turtles, and you've got this rat and this fly, <laughs> it just sounds completely ridiculous. But for some reason, and and really, you explain it in the book, and it just—I couldn't ever figure out why. It seems like everybody likes it. You know, I, there are very few people that I've ever talked to um, that you know. If you've got a turtle shirt on, or I give them a pack of turtles cards, everybody wants it. Everybody loves <laughs> the turtles. Yeah, and it was just. It sounds so odd and off the wall, and I think you did a really good job of explaining how um, you know people are able to relate to the turtles, and it's you're not really to me. I wasn't consciously relating to them. I just couldn't explain why I liked it so much. And I just thought it was really interesting how you, you kind of walk through um, you know how teenagers can relate to the problems and having yeah. uh, multiple um, multiple levels of uh, identity. Uh, yeah, it was just it was really interesting. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, all the turtles themselves, and basically all of their all of those characters have really conflicted identities. Right. Um, and then mutation, you know, being mutants, being hybrids, is is the most obvious uh, most obvious example of that. But a lot of people feel that way, right? Especially, especially now, especially in in the West, with a lot of immigration. You know, divorces and mixed families and different kinds of different kinds of people coming together and different from different places with different ideologies and different customs and kind of not nobody really feels like they fit in a lot more than it used to be even. Right. Very true. And the turtles in every incarnation, they treat that really respectfully, even though as ridiculous as it is, like you've got these giant turtles running around, uh, you know, eating pizza and, and, and being ninjas and fighting and whatever. Uh, but it's never, it's never treated condescendingly, right? It's always 
um, it's always taken seriously as absurd as it gets. There's a kind of respect for all of the characters that people relate to that I think resonates. Yeah, and I really like how you actually broke down the actual title, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, mm-hmm. like you talked about kind of the teenage aspect. And I think even at that point, you even I think you were the first person to tie in Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean, to the Ninja <laughs> Turtles. So that was really cool. Uh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, and then you tied in, you know, the fact that, you know, mutants are often, you know, in comic books portrayed as outcasts. Uh, and I don't know, I just, I really liked how you broke down the um, title in Chapter 2. I thought that was a really neat idea. Well, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, those, those are, that, it, that gives you everything, right? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It tells you exactly <laughs> what it is. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, you know, as absurd as it is, like you said, there's something that just resonates with us, you know, and like yep. you said, Josh, I've never met a fan that's like, oh, take that stupid shirt off, you know, if you're wearing, wearing a turtle shirt. Now, if I wore a Power Ranger shirt or something like that, maybe that would happen. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> now, if I, I wore a Next Mutation shirt, yeah, maybe that would happen, but... Uh, uh, there, I don't think there are any Next Mutation shirts. I believe they were uh, buried in a desert somewhere along with those uh, ET... <laughs> yeah, Atari. Yeah, that'll be, the, that'll be the next documentary. Right. <laughs> uh, but um, one, another really cool thing um, that you describe in your book is the films and you, you kind of summarize the films, you know, the plots and then you also kind of give your own thoughts and interpretations of the plots and everything. You know, you explain each one of the TMNT films, uh, including the first three live action films from the early 90s. Mm-hmm. You talk about the 2007 film and the uh, uh, 2003 cartoon movie TMNT Forever. Yeah. Uh, so I just got to ask, out of all of them, which one's your personal favorite and why? Okay. It's got to be the first one. All right. It really holds up. I don't know if you've uh, watched it lately, but it really holds up. It really does, yeah. I I just watched it um, probably a couple months ago, and it really does. And I I don't think I watched that one as much as a kid. Uh, I don't know why. I think the second one just may have been on TV more. And uh, for a while, the second one was my favorite as a kid. Um, And now looking back... I mean, the second, I still do enjoy the second movie, but wow, the first one really follows the comics really well. Yeah, it really does. It's got uh, a very strong track out of the original comics, but it also throws in enough stuff from the cartoon not to alienate kids. It was a really courageous move to make a Ninja Turtles movie like that at that moment, you know, to follow, to follow the, com- the comics more than just adapting the cartoon was a a really bold choice and you can tell how much the people making the movie cared about actually making a good movie. Right. And, and you know, the funny thing is it, it wasn't even supposed to be like a blockbuster hit. I, I, I can't remember which film company did it, but uh, it was kind of like a, almost like a surprise to a lot of viewers, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was what anyone was expecting right. from, yeah. from a Ninja Turtles movie. It had a, but it really brought, it really brought a lot, and even the um, the animatronics yeah. still look pretty good. Yeah, I agree. They do. I agree. They do. You know, compared they, to the uh, you know the coming out of their shells and the TMNT free <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, those are cost cutting measures, right? But in the original, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, in the original yeah. movie, they hired Jim Henson's company, which was the right move. They were at the forefront of animatronic technology, and. Um, 
uh, for the third movie, didn't they go to the the local Chuck E. Cheese and, <laughs> and rip the they ripped half of the guy off uh, of Chucky himself? You notice, yeah. uh, Splinter, you never see his bottom half. Yep, exactly. He, yeah. He's always leaning out of a window or something. Yep. It's like they didn't yep. do his legs. Yeah, what's the window yeah. doing in the sewer anyway? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um, you know, speaking of the first film, personally, um, it is my all-time favorite. I've watched that film, uh, gosh, dozens of times. Yeah. I absolutely love that film. You know, um, if you could pick one scene that really stands out to you, which one would it be? Oh, it's hard to pick. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, okay, I think it's got to be when the turtles psychically communicate with Splinter. Oh, good scene. After he's been uh, captured by Shredder. They don't know whether he's alive or dead. And Leonardo is out meditating in the woods and makes contact with him. Kind of and a tearjerker scene, too. Real, it real really tearjerker. was, yeah. Yeah. Like you, you very much get the sense um, in that scene. I think more than any other in that movie of how they're really a family, right? How they really, really care about each other, and it's not just, it's not just a a revenge fantasy. You know, we're going to go out and get the shredder, which it could have been, right? Um, but they they really are a family who who cares about each other, and it was it was a really touching scene. Um, that didn't have to be in that movie. It's true. I mean, and you know, that's another big testament to the to film um, because I want to say, and I did not know this until literally about two months ago, <laughs> I've been reading the Mirage series. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I, as a matter of fact, I got the Color Classics one, and I right. think it was issue 10, mm -hmm. uh, and it's that scene. Yep. You know, where they're in that farmhouse and everything with yep. April. Uh, and, and Splinter's gone. And I'm thinking, holy cow, this is just like the film. And, uh, you know, come to think of it, the film's just like the comic. <laughs> you yeah, know? exactly. The comic came first. So yeah. that's a huge testimony to the film. You even specifically mentioned issue 10 in your, in your book, if I remember correctly, when you talked yeah, about yeah. this movie. So, uh, again, fans, seriously, check out the book. It's yeah. legit. <laughs> um, Probably say that at least 10 more times <laughs> it's over. Um, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the, you know, the seriousness of this movie. And like you're saying, it was a risk to try to make uh, a serious Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And uh, I don't think it's been quite done quite the same uh, since the first film. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is where Shredder is talking to Danny. And he's yep. asking him about where the turtles are. And he, he tells him that he's lying. And you see his, his claws kind of going down. Uh, Danny's body as he's searching for things. Yep. That was really kind of scary. I mean, it, it, this yeah. is supposed to be a kids' movie. I mean, that could give you nightmares. But they really, <laughs> they really went out there and they really portrayed Shredder as as a as a monster, and that you know he could really hurt people. And yeah. uh, that kind of made me think about um, you had mentioned near the end of your book um, about a what if they did a full fledged like rated R version of the turtles, like yeah. fully out there. What if, you know, if this, maybe they did a, a copy of the first movie, but maybe turned it up to 11 where you've got. Raph uh, says other cuss words. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've actually got them, you know, slicing up people like they do in the original comic. You know, yep. uh, if, if they did something like that, you know, I think it would be extremely successful. You know, it kind of makes me think of the new Dark Knight series, you know, they did with Batman. Yep, How exactly. Was, yeah, if they did that with the Turtles, I think it would explode. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I hope that, you know, sometime there's going to be the popular demand for it or somebody somebody up at Viacom at Nickelodeon uh, 
realizes looking back at the original stuff that they can do that you know that is a legitimate a legitimate way to do the turtles and it's never it's never really been done before well if you get a response to your letter <laughs> yeah. you can write it let me know i will be there right <laughs> thanks I'll, I'll let you know well, you know, do you think that would work better, say, either CGI or cartoon, like a manga style or live action? Like, what do you think would work the best? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Probably, I think, um, a cartoon or or a CGI version mm-hmm. would do re- really well. Like, if you look at some of the, uh, the Batman cartoons, um, especially the direct-to-DVD ones, there's a lot of really good unexpected interesting stuff going on mm-hmm. you could have a cartoon or or cgi uh like the the 2007 tmnt um was was all cgi and mm-hmm. it was also a really really good movie i agree yeah yeah, I, I, yeah I, that's probably that might be my second favorite it's really yeah good. same same here i think they did a really great job and I think with the you know the, the new Michael Bay thing coming up, uh, yeah, I just the live action thing. I think it could work if you did it right, but it's really tough to do because yep. I think you've got the uh, the is it called the Uncanny Valley? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening with the turtles, <laughs> yeah. right? It's, yeah. You, they try to make them so realistic that they just look freaky. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah, that's kind of the problem that they're running into. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have gone that way. So you know, what are your impressions of the new film? Speaking of that. Oh, I'm uh, I'm nervous that they don't look like the turtles, which is maybe maybe nitpicky. I don't know what kind of a story they're going to tell yet. Like I, you know, we get such a small idea of what the actual movie is from just the. I mean, I'm okay with the idea of them looking kind of different. You know, they're really tall instead of being short or whatever. I think it's going to be the story that makes or breaks it, rather than. Yeah, Rob, uh, Rob and I were talking about this a little bit before. Um, one of the things that really bothered me about the trailer was that th- the first time that you see the turtles, they're sliding down the hill on their backs, and yeah. it just seems kind of goofy, I guess. Kind of jarring, and, too. Yeah, and jarring. And you, you, Well, bef- when I saw the trailer, I didn't even know it was a Ninja Turtles trailer until a couple, right. you know, like 20 seconds into a minute and a half. Yeah trailer and it was just so everything happened so fast but then you see the turtles sliding on their back they look goofy and then the next thing is you've got michelangelo in his face taking his mask off and to me it was whenever the turtles had their reveal there was it was always a build-up and suspense and you're waiting to see them and you see them in the shadows you know because they're ninjas and they're just awesome and in this one it just kind of it was anticlimactic and it made them look ridiculous and you don't think of you know awesome lethal stealthy ninjas (laughs) <laughs> and you also don't think turtles because they don't look like turtles either. <laughs> so I mean, to me, I was I was really just disappointed right. with the way well, that they presented them. Yeah, they definitely they definitely don't look like turtles. That's true. This could be a problem with the trailer. It might not yeah. be. Right. I'm I'm hoping it is. Yeah, we're, we're both really excited. We're definitely going to be there opening night. We're hoping for the best. I, you know, as a fan, I just want it to be a good turtle story. Yeah. And I don't know. I, like I'm, I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to entertain a lot of different ideas mm. in, from the turtles and there have been a lot of different ideas in the various adaptations and that's that's cool but michael bay makes me nervous <laughs> <laughs> i understand uh, you know but speaking of like the newer stuff you know you talk about it in um kind of the, the end of your book you're talking about the idw series and the yep. current nickelodeon series what do you think do you think this the future for the ninja turtles looks bright 
Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it does. The the uh, Nickelodeon cartoon is really great. It's genuinely really good. I I agree completely. I was taken by surprise at how much I liked it. And yeah, Splinter's my guy. Know. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I didn't know I didn't know what to expect going in, but they nailed it. They really nailed it. You can tell that they get the turtles. They care about the characters. The humor is there. The action is there. Uh, the sense of morality is there. It's all great. They really get it. They're really familiar with the source material, and they know when it's going to make more sense to diverge from it, and they do it right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, they're also very, very aware, like you said, of kind of their audience, you know. Yeah. Not only are, there, are you going to have, you know, little kids that are just seeing the franchise for the first time. Like, as a matter of fact, my brother-in-law, his son is just now getting into the Charles. He's never even seen the original, but he's seen the Nickelodeon show. He loves it. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool, you know, for me as a fan since the beginning to see that. But also, like, when I watch the Nickelodeon cartoon, there's a lot that I get that a lot of people wouldn't. Like, subtle things, like Donatello, um, he's got, like, this little... I think it was some kind of remote for the Mauser he controlled, but it's an original mm-hmm. Game Boy. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It even makes the original Game Boy noise when you cut yeah. it on. And I'm thinking, man, like, there's not many people that would get that besides, you know, people our age. Right, exactly. Or so the, I just, I, the space I think heroes, that's so cool. Space Heroes reference, that's totally the uh, Star Trek animated series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they even made fun of uh, tra- or, um, not, um, Power Rangers yep. in the second series. Yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, they really, uh, I missed that one. Uh, it, yeah, it's like anime in general. Power Rangers wasn't anime, obviously, but it was the same, in the same vein. Uh, yeah, right. in, in season two. Yeah, they, they really get it. They're, they could have gone with pure nostalgia or they could have gone um, just targeting it at kids and mm-hmm. they decided instead to make it a good Ninja Turtles cartoon um, right. on its own merits. And, and it, really, it really, really works. And similarly, the IDW uh, comic books really get it. The, the writers and everyone working on it clearly knows their stuff they know the ninja turtles they know what kind of stories to tell with ninja turtles and how and um they care about it and and they're they're doing it right really impressed that they brought kevin eastman on board for the comics yeah yeah and i think that was key because for me you know especially if they're gonna um if they're gonna restart the origin story to me kevin eastman kind of legitimate legitimized it legitimized it uh, (laughs) there you go uh because I like the fact that they take they're they're doing a new take on it, but I I was just instantly mesmerized at how quickly the story develops, you know. And the first mm-hmm. the first four issues, I was planning on only reading the first one, and I before I knew it, I was already through four of them. Yeah, um, it was just it really draws you in. They did an excellent job on it, and I think it's great that they're able to bring in a new audience, but not only uh, just advertising for um, I guess are trying to try to appeal to a new audience, but also for people like me who have gone back and read the originals, uh, it's just new stories that we can enjoy from a different perspective. And that's yeah. kind of something that you talked about in the book, too, that the Turtles universe, so to speak, it's it's okay to have different versions of the same story or different perspectives, and it really works uh, well. I, I like how the newer series are kind of adding their own new things as well, but you know, also, yeah. like you said, you know, paying homage to a lot of the old stuff, like uh, the new characters in the IDW series, like Old Hob, uh, yep. I really, really like the micro series that are that are. Oh coming. yeah, they are really great. Yeah, yeah. Like Josh and I, we just read the uh, Utrom 
Empire? Or is it, I never yeah. can remember if it's Utram or Utram, whatever. I think it's, I think it's Utram. Utram, okay, so yeah. I said it right. Josh, you were wrong. No, take off, Hoser. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Get out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just, just seeing like Krang, for instance, yeah. it, it's a totally new concept to me that Krang, you can almost get his mindset, no pun intended, I guess, with him. <laughs> but, you know, you can almost see why he is the way he is because yeah. he is going to stop at nothing to protect his race because they're dwindling down and exactly. facing extinction. So, you know, it's, it's cool to kind of see these, these new char- or old characters, um, you know, in a new light or new characters for the first time that you can kind of identify with. So it's a kind of – it's a very exciting time to be a Turtles fan. Yeah, it really is. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, speaking of comics, uh, I just had to ask this. I mean, obviously, you're very well read in your TMNT comics and everything. <laughs> is, is there a particular issue that stands out to you, say, from any – you know, besides, you know, say, the first issue that you ever read? Uh, is there any particular comic that really stands out to you from any volume? Uh, yeah. I think uh, I'm going to go with um, the Return to New York storyline. Oh, from, from the, the original, original series? Yeah, from the original series. It's really amazing. It's, it, it kind of hits, it hits everything. Um, it brings everything together, all the, the weird different kinds of stories and the relationship between the characters and it ties up loose ends. Uh, the art is great. Just everything. It it just it just hits. I think in every single way. And like, that's where uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird they kind of came back. Yeah, yeah. There was uh, there was some weird stuff that they were some weird experimental stuff that was going on in the in the core book for a while, <laughs> and uh, they brought it back to the main plot. Yeah, and it was it was great. It's absolutely classic. I was curious. Have you read the uh, Ultron Empire series? I'm assuming you have. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, what is your opinion on Crane being uh, a an Ultron or not being a Ultron? Because I know uh, in the '87 series he wasn't, and right. in the comics he is. Uh, do you have a preference either way? And uh, you know what kind of impact do you think that would have on on the universe as a whole? Uh, I think it works either way. Like in the original. Comics, um, the Utrams weren't bad guys, right? Doing their just own hanging thing. out, hanging out. Yeah, they were they were <laughs> trapped on Earth for a while. They were the creators of the mutagen. Uh, for the cartoon, they adapted that. Yeah, they just kind of made things simpler by uh, combining the story or the the characters into into one single character, probably to make it easier for the younger audience to understand, I guess. Yeah, maybe, or it just probably it's just easier to uh, have one big bad or i guess a pair of big bads uh there i mean and obviously the relationship between shredder and krang was one of the one of the key points of of that cartoon and it was, it was a really supreme comic duo it was yeah exactly <laughs> like their their banter was hilarious oh yeah uh, like a married couple yep. yeah like an old married couple exactly, exactly. Yeah. uh go, going back to villains besides you know the big two which we could say is krang and shredder you know, are there any other particular villains that you kind of really liked either as a kid or now? Oh, let me think. Uh, that's rough. In the original <laughs> comics, in the original comics, they didn't really um, build up a huge uh, rogues gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of longer arcs where the Foot were involved, and and later on there was Karai, the new leader of the Foot. Um, so actually, Karai is a great one. She takes over the Foot Clan uh, after after the death of Shredder, 
and uh, kind of enters into an uneasy agreement yeah. with the turtles. Um, yeah, Karai is a great character. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in the original Mirage series, Karai was very much the Shredder's equal. They weren't together. They weren't in the comics at the same time because by the time Karai shows up, Shredder's been dead for a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and, he, and she's just trying to kind of clean up the mess uh, that, you know, the power vacuum that his death left. <laughs> um, in a lot of the, in the subsequent adaptations, they usually use Karai as kind of a disciple of Shredder's, kind of a daughter figure to Shredder. And that works too. I mean, it's interesting because that's something that didn't really exist in the original, the original material. But having, I mean, Turtles is a lot about families. And having right. that kind of familial relationship between Shredder and Karai paints a, a new dimension for the villain side of things, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, it really humanizes both of them. Speaking of, like, characters and everything, let, let's talk particularly about the Turtles because we kind of touched on it earlier on the show. Mm -hmm. We were talking about how each turtle um, has a very kind of distinct personality trait. Yep. So, you know, if you could pick one turtle that personifies your personality, who do you think it would be? I think you can probably guess. <laughs> Donatello? Uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's got to be Donatello, of course. Because <laughs> uh, he's the best? He's kind of... Yeah, well, because he's the best, and I'm also the best, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're a big Corey uh, Feldman fan, right? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, Corey Feldman um, played Slash in the, new, in the new series. I heard about that. Josh told me that. I did not know that. Really cool. He did a really good job. Yeah, um, I just wish you but, would have talked about pork rinds more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah pork rind. Pork rind. Um, yeah, Donatello's kind of uh, kind of a dreamer, the, the imagination, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, as, as a, an aspiring writer, I kind of like to think of the possibilities for things, come up with new solutions and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, see what works. A lot of the time, see what doesn't work you know right. what blows up what blows up on your face right right or launches out into the into space or whatever not only right. inspiring but achieved because this book is awesome. <laughs> absolutely because you know you know as a reader reading your work obviously like i pretty much knew the answer anyway uh to that question for you because obviously you've done your homework you know exactly what you're talking about i mean it comes through I, I, when I read this for the first time i said wow i've learned so much through this book that i never would have known about so I've only oh, got thanks. two questions. Oh, absolutely, man. And I, I've got one major question I've got to answer. I know the listeners want to know. What is your favorite kind of pizza? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a that is a really good question. Okay. <laughs> Broccoli and eggplant. Broccoli, Broccoli and eggplant. eggplant. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Try it. If you can find a place that will put broccoli and eggplant on your pizza, it is so good. <laughs> you get any, like, weird stares and stuff uh, when you order something like this? No, no, not not where I get it. <laughs> they, they, you know, it's on their it's on their menu. It's right up there, and I was like, "Hey, broccoli eggplant, all right, let's try that out." Turns out, it's actually amazing. <laughs> nice. I can yeah, honestly super, say I don't think anyone's ever said that before. There you go. Super know. health, super healthy too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, Josh, you have anything else you want to ask? Um, no, I think that uh, about wraps it up. Except for I wanted to ask, uh, how can our fans uh, get a hold of your book? Oh well, it's available. Uh, in actual bookstores <laughs> or you can uh, go buy it on Amazon or you know any of any of those uh, book buying places it's it's out there or you can buy it 
uh, directly from the uh, website of the publisher, ecwpress.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can also get the ebook for free if you buy a print book. You just go onto the website and you can get both versions. So you can have it for wherever you want. And for uh, for those of you, I don't know why you'd be listening if you weren't, but even if you're not a particular turtle fan, uh, I think this book is really interesting. Uh, it, you learn a lot about uh, how a franchise could be successful or not successful, depending on you know how they execute their their property in different formats. You know, and uh, like you had mentioned uh, near the end of your book about uh, the cartoon series, comparing it to uh, how uh, Lucasfilm did with their the droids and the Ewoks cartoon series. Um, how they were just trying to, to capitalizing and sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe not necessarily cash in, but it just it didn't have a lot of the soul that it should have. Um, it was just, I guess, using the Star Wars name more so than anything else. Uh, I just thought that was really interesting. So, uh, again, I can't say enough uh, great things about the book. It's entertaining. Uh, I learned a lot of things, and it was fun. So, guys, definitely check it out. You will not be disappointed. Thanks so much. Anytime you uh, ever want to come back on the show, if you want to put up with us two nerds, uh, you're always <laughs> welcome, man. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot. Wow. Well, Richard was a really nice guy, huh? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You know, uh, just, just for, the, for those of you listening, um, this is a great book. Uh, you definitely need to check this out. This guy has done his homework. I mean, I was so impressed with all the things he covers. I mean, he covers the comics, the films, other comics, you know, and how they had an influence on the series. He talks about the toys. He talks about the cartoon series and each in different type of cartoon series. He talks about the next mutation. <clears throat> oh. uh, he talks about the 2007 film. I mean, everything you could possibly think of in this 150, 160-page book, it's in there. You owe it to yourself. If you're a big Ninja Turtle fan, you got to check this out. You could tell it's written by a guy who loves the franchise. I think he had fun. I think, you know, I know we had fun with him. So great time. Yeah, it was, it was really great. And uh, you'll learn uh, a few new words, uh, as we both yep. have. <laughs> mm -hmm. But also, oh, just like the stuff about Daredevil, you know, it's stuff that you really wouldn't have learned otherwise. And it's just some really astute observations on uh, culture and how it relates, you know, how the turtles really will relate to uh, different people in different situations. Uh, you know, how New York is sort of used as a, uh, an analogy for the entire world because it's got all the different cultures in it. Just so much stuff that you wouldn't really think about. Uh, sort of overanalyzing, I guess, but not to the point where it's, uh, it's boring or uh, it doesn't belabor any points. It just really opens your eyes as to, you know, how and why the Turtles were so successful. So uh, really cool. It was awesome. I hope to talk to him again. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? I, I got a feeling, you know, we had such a blast. I have a feeling we will be on again one day. I hope so. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, he liked me better. He didn't uh, like you. I don't know Yo, about that, man. Get out of here. No, he, no, Hoser, man, you were, you were talking about to, all the crazy stuff. I get out of here. Points. No, I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, uh, hope you enjoyed episode nine. It was the it, at first, you know what? It was a cursed episode. We went to record this like two days ago, and then uh, my computer went haywire and everything. But, you know, we finally got back on track. We re-recorded a couple of things, and I think we ended on a positive note. Josh, what type of pizza are we going to have today? I, I think we're going to have to try the new recommendation, so uh, here's <laughs> to hoping we all enjoy our broccoli and eggplant pizza. It's <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's healthy. we got to do that for a change. If you're eating pizza all the time, you need to get your vitamin A, vitamin C, and antioxidants through your vegetables. That's right. All right, well, cowabunga, dudes. Cowabunga. I gotta get my radio voice on. <laughs> <laughs>
So we're doing uh, the we're, something like that. Yeah. Professional what? I don't know. But. <laughs> and coming up, we have a special guest. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Hey, Jose, long time no talk. Yo, Robinardo. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jacintello. No, he's gonna like you better because you, you sound like Donatello. He's not oh, gonna like. You. Oh, okay. You're gonna be the favorite, and it's not fair. Well, hey, you know, you got Jim Lawson, and you got, uh, and you that's got, true, uh, Pat Freely. So you know, that, that, this is true. This is true. You know, I, mean, I got dibs on Eastman. No, no way. Well, I called it. Called oh, it. you can't. Oh. Well, well no, um, you finally uh, deleted all those Power Rangers videos. No way. It was actually I'm a closet next mutation fan. Oh, dude, I'm hanging up. And how bad it was. <laughs> what was her name? Vivian or Venus? Uh, Venus de Milo. Venus. The, the chick turtle. Not, not that I have anything against a female turtle. So you still eating your pizza? Oh, uh, no, I finished. Oh, man, you're quick. Jeez. Yeah, I don't wow. mess around when it comes to pizza. I'll, I'll starve yeah. like Michelangelo. <laughs> I hear you, man. Yo, so you're doing like one bite like he does. I was trying. It was deep dish though, so you know. Oh gosh, yeah, I had you just killed yourself back a little bit, yeah. Right, right. It's not like you're, you know, job of the hut or something like that. You just <laughs> throw them in there. <laughs> 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 it's got like this little muppet thing, like chains to your. Oh, salacious crumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that his name? I couldn't remember. Yeah, salacious crumb. Yeah. Okay. I hated that guy. Yeah, he was. Thought really... everything was funny. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. Like, people are dying and stuff. Yeah, and he's laughing. Yeah, he's kind of a respect. No respect, I'll tell you. Okay. Getting your uh, radio voice ready? I'm working on it. Working on the golden pipes. <laughs> Unique you are. It's all the cigarettes. Oh, he's Yeah, he saw that picture. He's like, I'm out of here. You sound great. Thank you. Yeah. You sound better. Thanks. I uh, I only have one or two questions, but Josh has like 36. So, oh, no, uh, take off, Jose. Oh, Those you do. Yours. 